So why don't we grab our Bibles? We're going to turn to Romans chapter 12 with enthusiasm, with passion, with purpose. This is the Lord's Word, and we're trusting that He will use it to accomplish all that He desires for the glory of His name this morning. And that's not going to come through my words, it's going to come through the power of His Spirit. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that's able to cause it to come alive in our hearts and to bear fruit for the glory of your name. And so we just give you permission this morning. Do whatever you desire to do. We long for, we live to see you glorified, to see your name made great. How we need, how the world needs to see you, King Jesus. The glory, the might, the power the majesty of your name. What an urgency there is to make your name known, to spread your renown. And so, Father, we just pray in whatever way you desire this morning, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. We pray together. Amen. 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 So Romans chapter 12 is the address. That's our starting place this morning. And we've been working our way through this incredible book. It's a wonderful book, not just because of its theology. Paul, of course, sets out to proclaim the gospel. He says, that's the passion of my heart. That's my desire. That's my mission with everything within me to preach and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he's been unpacking the reality of that, the power of that, the purpose of the gospel. And we've reached this turning point in chapter 12 where really he moves from, if you like, the the theology of the gospel to the practical outworking of the gospel, remembering, of course, that he's writing to a group of Christians. He's writing to the Roman church. So he's not wanting just for the gospel to remain in some sort of a a theological space, but he wants to give it some substance in terms of how that outworks in the life of the church. Practically, what what does that mean? And so he's going to talk about different aspects of, well, what does that mean for us personally? What does that mean for us individually? What does that mean for us as believers? And just to give us a segue there, Adam talked a couple of weeks ago about what really is this this first wonderful transition, beginning of chapter 12. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, in view of or by the mercies of God, to present yourself as a living sacrifice. So that's the first posture. That's the first place that we must Maintain. We don't move on from there. As he concluded, may we never lose the wonder of this God who saves. I was reflecting this past week, and I don't want to re-preach Adam's sermon. He did a great job. Just how easy it is for us to be a little jaded. And the, the thought that came to mind was recently we had the privilege of taking our kids to a few different spots around the world. And with some sense of reluctance... I took the family to London. And I say reluctance because I know there's a lot of London fans, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. There's a lot of people who love London. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord, as the saying goes. I'm not one of them. I spent, I think it was four months, one London winter in Croydon, south of London, enduring the worst of the London winter, which was concrete and rain for four months straight. I'm a little tainted when it comes to London. So there was some reluctance when we went to London and we said, what do we do? And of course, all the kids and my lovely wife said, well, we've got to go to the theatre. That's the thing you do in London or one of the things. You see the the Queen or we saw the King's coronation now. And 
Um, didn't see him, just saw all the pageantry. But you go and see the king, and then you go to the theatre, or so I'm told. So we booked tickets, um, and I was even less enthusiastic when I saw the price of the London theatre. In fact, it was the one moment in all of our trip where the credit card was declined. I thought it might be a sign from the Lord. I said to Ali, I, I, I guarantee you it's because the credit card company has looked at how much money's going through, and they've said there is no way in the world that any person in their right mind would spend that much money to go to a show at the London Theatre. Must, must be a fraud, must be a fake, and that's why they've cancelled it. But we persevered through, and we went to the theatre, and I've got to be honest, with some reluctance, um, but the moment we pulled up in the street, you know, the theatre was there in the distance. The excitement in my family, and five women, was palatable. <laughs> we walked into the theatre and you'd think they'd just walked into heaven. They were soaking up this atmosphere. We uh, went through this show. It was The Lion King, by the way. I should have mentioned that. So the costumes, the dr- I mean, you, you would not believe how excited particularly the girls were at this whole experience. And to this day, one of them in particular, they all loved it. One said, Dad, that, that was it for me. That was the highlight of the entire trip. It was the London Theatre. And you know, it's, it's hard not to get swept up in that kind of excitement, but in, in the midst of that place, for me, I realised how easy it is for us to get just jaded and familiar and a bit blasé about things, how important it is for us to continue to see things through fresh eyes. It says in Scripture, open the eyes of our heart, God. We want to see you. We want to never lose the wonder. And I say that as well to encourage us even this morning as we witness people being baptized. What an incredible reality. I love baptisms, not just for the moment, but the lead up as we've done with the people getting baptized this morning, hearing their journeys. And inevitably, there's always people who share the testimony that seems a little insignificant. Well, I was you know, brought up in a Christian home, and this is me taking ownership of my faith. There's normally some testimonies, which now that you have kids, that's a testimony you want for all of your kids. I'm praying for that kind of a testimony. And then you have the other testimonies of people who God in His grace has reached down to, to redeem and rescue from all sorts of different backgrounds. But the central reality is this, there is a God who saves. There is a God whose power is still at work, saving, restoring, reconciling, and redeeming. That would be a great moment for an amen. Amen. But may we never lose the wonder and the reality of that. It's not just theory. There's principles of this God who is at work in our midst 2,000 years later as there will be until the moment that he calls Toma and calls us home to be with him whenever that might be. So with that in mind we then move on. So Paul has said I appeal to you never lose the wonder present in light of who he is and what he's done for you. Your entire life is, is worship. That's what it is. Every breath is live for his glory. And in the light of the wonder of who he is. And then he moves on in verse 3, chapter 12. Read with me. It says this. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Some good truth there. 
But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts, verse 6, that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I'm going to pause there for a moment, remembering that this particular juncture at this transition point in the book of Romans, he's specifically giving advice to the Roman church. And this is the top of his list here. This is the first priority. And let's just notice what he says. He says, for the grace, this is verse 3 again, for the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. So he's not trying here to, to pick out certain people at different times. As he's unpacked theology, he said, I'm speaking now to the Jews or I'm speaking now to the Gentiles. He's held different people up as a focus of the point that he's trying to make. Here he is talking to the church of Rome. He's talking to the believers in that place. He's saying, I want to encourage each and every one of you. This is not a select group. This is not just to the leadership or the eldership. This is to the people of God in that place. He's saying, for the grace that's been given to me, I'm talking to all of you, do not think of yourself as more important each according to the measure of faith. But he encourages them in verse 6. This is the key this morning. He's saying, having gifts. Some translations say, because you've been given gifts. Or in light of the reality of the gifts that you've been given through the power of the Spirit. That differ according to the grace given to us. Let, uh, let us, excuse me, let us use them. And he gives us a list there. It's not a uh, prescriptive list. There's other portions of Scripture, Corinthians and Ephesians and other mentions of the so-called spiritual gifts. This is one portion of Scripture where he emphasizes and underlines, not a complete list of gifts, but the, the essential necessity in the functioning of that particular church, the book of Romans, and elsewhere we read it's not just for the Romans, it's for us today, of the gifts of his Spirit. So I want to unpack that a little bit, and I talked through this a little last Sunday night. I was a little bit excited and got ahead of ourselves, so for those who were here on Sunday night, some of this will be reviewed. But I, I feel this stirring in my heart from the Lord to bring this back to us, not just as some kind of a, a theoretical teaching, but of a practical necessity. How is it that we are to be effective as believers in our own personal walk, in the year 2023, how is it that we as a church, and of course you could extend it beyond that to the church, but my focus primarily is for us as a church, how is it as Vision Church that we are to fulfill the fullness of what God's called us to? What is, what's the secret? What's at times so often, I would suggest, the most important and vital, but the missing piece? And Paul is focusing here on a very important reality. See, let me introduce it this way. His first priority is not a nice structure. I think so often if we were to sit down and have a conversation, and you hear this conversation 
very regularly between believers, I'm, I'm sure you would have heard this, talking about, well, what makes a good church? And someone will say, well, you know, I'm really looking for a church that has incredible music or, or worship. Well, I'm, you know, I'm looking for a teacher that has a, a, a church that has amazing preaching. I'm looking for the church that has a, a great ministry program for my young people, a, you know, a really vibrant young adults, whatever it is. And all of those things are important in and of themselves. So I'm not trying to downplay any of those aspects of church life. But we tend to look at the structure. You go to any church growth strategy seminar, for those who've been there, I've been to many over my times, what is it normally that we look for? Well, I can tell you, for those who haven't been there, normally it's something to do with it. This is how we can be more effective. We need greater um, programs in this area. We need a, a, a more detailed structure here. We need... Fill in the blank. It's, it's all to do with the external structure of the church. And again, those things are important. And I'm not saying they're not. But there's something that is fundamentally vital, and I would say at times the most overlooked. And it's nothing to do with the structure. It's the substance. It's the power of God at work in the midst of his people. Fantastic. Let me give you this, um, this particular example and story. If it's helpful, take it. If not, you can feel free to discard it. But just a few weeks ago, we have um, the age that our children are currently at. They can be very motivated at times, particularly when there's a movie or some shopping they want to do, to do jobs. So my wife had sent out my eldest daughter into the garden to do some gardening. We've got plenty to do, as I'm sure many of you do as well. And she had, in particular, the mission was you to go and do some pruning. And so we'd left her for an hour or so, and I thought, well, I'll go and just check on her and see how she's going. And she'd, she'd made a bit of a dent. She'd been pruning some of these bushes, and she'd made some progress here and there. But as I came and spoke to her, I saw that all that she had in her hand was this pair of rusty old secateurs. And these things, I mean, I, I, I tried to move them myself and I was amazed that she'd got anything done and accomplished anything at all with these rusty secateurs. And the problem was she was moving on, she'd kind of taken a little bit of the, you know, the low-lying low bushes, but she had before her these large-scale trees and bushes to prune. And I said to her, sweetheart, well, you, know, you can keep going if you'd like with the secateurs, you're making some dent. Or I just want to remind you, in case it's of any assistance, that I do have in my shed a chainsaw. <laughs> and I should clarify as well, we live on a property. So this is not one of those little electric carving knives, you know, masquerading as a chainsaw that you see these days. This is, this is a manly chainsaw. Like I chopped my, my wood down, where's Michael A. Church? We, we took out a 10-foot tree, I think it was. You could have just about driven a car through it, couldn't you, at my place? And narrowly dodged it as it came. This is a proper chainsaw. And so we uh, retrieved the chainsaw, we fired this thing up, and let me just say the garden was well and truly pruned. In fact, it is going to stay pruned for some time to come. But we accomplished more in just a few moments of the chainsaw together than we would have in a lifetime with a pair of rusty secateurs. And I just felt the Lord challenge me in that moment and say, Andrew, that's a little bit the way that the church is operating. We're operating with a rusty pair of secateurs just thinking, well, this is our lot in life. We've been given the Great Commission. We've been given 
Now, the power to preach the gospel, but we're really just supposed to, you know, chip away and maybe, you know, just do a little bit here and there. But, and the Lord's saying, you need to remind them. They've forgotten that there's a chainsaw. There's a chainsaw available. That he is ready and willing, and not only ready and willing, he said, this is the way that it works. You've got the gospel. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. But wait. But wait. Do not move anywhere until you receive power from on high. The essential but often overlooked and forgotten. And let's be honest, it's a little bit uncomfortable at times, isn't it? It's not a nice little neat carving knife to take care of the turkey Christmas dinner. Like it is, it, it is a little wild. It's a little uncontained. It's, it's a little uncomfortable at times. And so I think we, we gloss over it or we kind of just try and package it neatly or we preach against it entirely. But if we're to truly accomplish what God has called us to as individuals, as this church, you know, there has to be a coming back to that operation and the raw power of God at work in the midst of his people. And this is the other thought that, you know, and I'll unpack this a little bit and it won't be a complete series on spiritual gifts. Don't worry, I will have us out of here in time to do the baptisms before five o'clock this evening. You see, often we think of the, the power of God expressed in the midst of his people, and we think, well, it looks like the day of Pentecost. And I want to say it, it does at times. Like, that's fantastic. The people gather together, the upper room, 120, and the power of God is, is manifestly poured out upon the people. There's tongues of fire. Acts chapter 5, as you read on, it says the disciples gathered and the room was shaken. And you look at revival history, there's these moments we, we could go to Azusa Street Revival, Welsh Revivals. We could go even early this year where there was um, the Asbury meetings and a couple hundred thousand people descended on a little town of 4,000 people because there was this tangible reality of the presence of God in a meeting. Now, that's wonderful, and I am all for that. I, I absolutely am. And if God wants to show up now, today, tomorrow, next week, I'm happy not to preach. I don't need to preach again in my life if it's because the God... God and his power and presence has come. That, that's what we long for. That's what we desire. And that's important. But there's another way that God's power is expressed. And in some ways it's even more important because I would suggest that often this is the, the exception. It's wonderful. And I'm happy to pray and press in for that. But this is the normal. This is the power of God expressed sovereignly in a meeting, pouring out his spirit. But Paul is talking here about another expression of the power and presence of God. And it's not in a meeting. It's his gifts and the power of his Holy Spirit given to his people. Not to one or two, but to his people as a whole, to his church. John Piper, he, he puts it this way. He says, the work of the church is a thoroughly supernatural work. One of the greatest curses on a church is when it businesses it down to such a science that it manifestly runs by human effort alone. If that's the main thing in the church, the efficiency of man is glorified, not the sovereignty of the Spirit and the Lordship of Jesus. Doesn't that ring true? What are we glorifying in the modern Western church? Is it the efficiency of man? 
Is it the programs and structures that we can create? Or is it the power and presence, the sovereignty of God, the lordship, the power, the might of the Holy Spirit? Sovereignty of the Spirit, the lordship of Jesus. A quote I always like in this space is, uh, there's a priest by the name of Thomas Aquinas. He lived in the 1200s and he once called in to visit Pope Innocent II. The story goes that the Pope at the time was, he was counting out the, the money, pulling out the gold. And he looks up and he sees Thomas coming in and he says, You see, Thomas, says the Pope, the church can no longer say silver and gold have I none. Thomas looks at him and says, True, but neither can the church say rise up and walk. See, the world can no longer say that we are but simple fishermen. But can they say that our shadows are raising the dead? I think we've done our best, particularly in the Western selves, to wean ourselves off this dependence and need of the power of God. We've thrown all of our energy into commodities and structures and programs and presentation and online presence. We forget that the church began, grab this, with a group of people with no money. They had no building. They had no strategy. They had no important connections. They had no social media following. What did they have? They had the mission of the gospel and they had the power of the Holy Spirit. And they turned the world upside down. Now, I'm not saying it's either. I'm saying we need to get rid of all the structures. And, but maybe there are some that we do. So so what do we do? How how do we grab a hold of this? Well, here's a couple of keys, and then we'll just bring this to a conclusion this morning. Verse 6 again, this is the focus. It says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So the context is Paul saying to the Romans, back to the passage, he's saying, this is the way that it works. God has given you his spirit. And sometimes we get a little bit caught up in this whole thing of, well, um, you know, Don't I have access through the Holy Spirit to all the gifts or some of the gifts? And the answer is yes, all of us can move in all of the gifts at different times. But Paul is giving us a picture. He's saying this is intentionally how God works, is that in the midst of the body of Christ, he gives to different people different gifts. No one person has all the gifts. Intentionally so, the church will realize that it's not about one person. That each and every person has a unique contribution to make. If you're in Christ this morning, this is what Scripture says, not just here, First Corinthians makes it very clear that each and every part of the body is as vital and as important as every other body. We've got to move away from a platform and you know celebrity Christianity where it's a group of people. There's a few people on a Sunday we minister and everybody else just kind of sits there as the spectator. That's, that's not the view of the church. It never was. There needs to be a stirring up and everybody realizing that they're as vital and important as everybody else. Had another reminder on, uh, on the trip, which overall went smooth, but of course there's a few little issues. And I had this uh, particular issue. I don't even know how it started, but I woke up one morning and my foot was grossly swollen. I think it was somewhere down southern Italy at the time, and being the typical bloke, I said, it'll be fine. I'll just push through. 
I don't need to see anybody, I'll just keep on keeping on. And so we did. We had a, a long drive the next day. We'd wandered through Venice for a couple of days. We'd ended up in um, Salzburg, Austria. It's a picturesque, beautiful little mountain town. And by that stage, it was so sore that I could not walk on it at all. So we caught a, uh, a bus into town, and I said to my wife, I'm going to go get some medical treatment. I think she said, hallelujah. Praise the Lord, he's finally going to do something about this. And so she, of course, left me there and took the rest of the kids off to see the sights, let me hobble through Austria, other than my um, eldest daughter, who very, very graciously, she said, Dad, I will stay with you and help you find the hospital, which I was so grateful for because we caught a bus to where we thought there was going to be medical care and there was nothing there, and I was in agony. I, I honestly, I mean, I haven't had a lot of physical injuries but I was in so much pain. I had to stop at times and send her off on a mission just to try and find something that could give me some assistance. It turns out that the, the uh, diagnosis was a stress fracture of the third and fourth metatarsal in the big toe. So for those who know anything about feet, they're two tiny little bones. And these were not even major fractures. And I mean, it, was, it would have been an incredibly comical sight, I'm sure, if you'd seen it, of me, you know, a, a decently larger than I used to be guy, let's put it that way, and my lovely petite eldest daughter, who was literally carrying me through, and I'm a terrible patient, I was letting everybody know how much pain I was in, as we hobbled to find some medical assistance in the hospital. And the thing that struck me there is you, you would not think that two tiny little bones in your big toe would undo a grown man, would you? You would not think it would reduce a strong, muscular picture of a... Let's move on. <coughs> Some encouragement from the front row, thank you. Let's leave that side of the analogy there. Um, you, you would not think that two little bones could undo everything. I mean, I was no good hobbling through streets, let alone if I had a race to run or anything else. And, and I feel that sometimes, in some sense, the way that we've been as a church is that we've emphasized certain giftings. I mean, what good is, is a mouth? Like, we, we emphasize teaching and preaching that's good and that's great and having important people in important positions. And what good is all that if the foot's broken? All it takes is two tiny little bones and everything is completely undone. And so there's two realities to this. He's, he's trying to encourage people in the, in the Roman church. And this is front and center. It's the first thing. Let's go to structure. He goes to substance. He's saying you must have the power of the Spirit being expressed through the people in the church. But you also must have everybody in the church recognizing that they have a part to play. They have a role. This is not just a responsibility. I mean, thank you for your prayers for us. But it's not just a matter of saying, well, we just pray for Adam. You know, if Adam could just get this, or if he could just get that, then the church would be much better. Be healthy. This is the sense of everybody together, if we're to accomplish what God has for us. So what do we do with this? Two takeaways, and then we'll bring this to a close. Number one, verse six again, having gifts. You have gifts. Paul is saying, grace has been given to me, and that very same grace has been given to you. 
This grace that, that Paul talked about, you know, through faith, this grace that we now stand and we savor and we, we savor the majesty and we, we sit and we rest. And I mean, that same grace, it's not just a resting place, it's a releasing place. He's saying that same grace by which I'm coming to you proclaiming the gospel, that's been given to you too. You have gifts and callings and the grace of God is upon you, spiritual gifts for you to function in a way that's not only for your good, but it's for the good of his church and the functioning of the church. You have gifts. Grace has been given to you. Number two, he says this, the very quick points. He says, having gifts by the grace, here's the key, by the gra- according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. It's very simple, isn't it? You have gifts, therefore, you're called to use them. What do you do if you've received a gift? What good is a gift that just sits in the shed collecting dust? How does any father feel if he's gone to extreme lengths to give? There's there's a chainsaw. Like, what what do you... Oh, no. No, we don't. No, we don't. don't, don't. We'll just do this ourselves. We'll just persevere. Push through. Do it in our own strength. We're, We're okay. We've got this down. We have need of nothing. Look at us, God. Look at our services. Look how well we're doing. Look at our worship team. They're writing their own songs. We've got this thing. We've got it sorted. And yet we're hobbling along in a horrible and hopeless condition. Unable. (laughs) Jesus looks at the church of Laodicea, doesn't he? He's like, yeah, you think you're so good. I look at you and I see you're pitiful, wretched, naked, and blind. Cannot even see the true state of your own condition. You have gifts. Put your gifts into action. I mean, I'd be a moment of truth here. So it's not just theoretical. But show of hands, how many of us honestly here this morning, if I asked you, would say, absolutely, I know the spiritual gifts that God has given me? Okay. I was hoping there'd be some. Great. We've probably got definitely less than half, maybe a third to a half. How many of us here could honestly say that they are at this moment putting those gifts to use in the context of the local church? I'm I'm hoping there's some. Good. Some encouragement. Okay, we've got probably 10% at best. So the encouraging thing that we could take away from that is there's a lot of room for growth. And this really is my heart this morning, is to pray for us, It's to stir us, it's to encourage us that each and every one of you has a gift. Not just a natural gift, not just a learned gift, but a spiritual gift. That God has intentionally placed you, if if this is your church or whatever church context you're in, He's placed you in that context and given you grace and His spiritual, supernatural empowering to be able to accomplish that, which nobody else here can do. And so I want to encourage us in those two areas. Number one, do you know what it is that your spiritual gift is? And if not, come and have a chat to a pastor. Let's let's go on a journey together and really discover what it is that God has called us to. It talks in 1 Corinthians 14, as as Paul, this other wonderful passage where he encourages the people in spiritual giftings. He says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Eagerly desire. That, that means to thirst and to hunger and to seek after something. 
He's saying, don't just let that be kind of on the peripheral, you know, or maybe at some stage. He's saying, no, eagerly desire. If you want to be effective and you want the church to be effective, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Seek after them. There should be some intentionality in our heart to seek after, to to, to seek to find. Uh, As a church, in fact, he goes on, he says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you should prophesy. And we as a church have been um, just stirred in that area, just to let you know one little little detail and thing um, that we are looking towards implementing as the year unfolds. But in previous seasons, we've had a real focus and emphasis on training and equipping people in the area of prophetic. So we've had um, someone who's agreed to take over that role, and I'm waiting for them to announce exactly how they want to do it. But we're going to be intentionally stirring that gift within our congregation. We're going to be training and equipping, and part of this is providing at times a safe place. You know, like we're talking about a chainsaw example. I don't just grab the chainsaw and give it to my 13, 15, even, you know, someone who was 20, without proper training. There has to be a safe place to learn how to use these things. So we're, we're training, hoping to train and equip people in, in prophecy, in the prophetic. Evangelism. We have the wonderful privilege of partnering with Astray for Jesus. Um, we've got Charles, he's probably here somewhere this morning, who heads up the Canberra Arm of that. And they regularly do seminars on how to share your faith. They're out on the streets every week. I love being on the mailing list and hearing all the stories of, of uh, the people that they've witnessed to and the responses to the gospel. Yeah, we're, we're so privileged to partner with Martin and Roz at the healing rooms and have people from the church as well as many other churches who get to pray for the sick every single week. Yeah, what, what a privilege to, to be a part of that, to support them in it and to, to go after... Seeing God move in those incredible ways. All that to say there is ways and means both to seek out what it is that God has equipped you with, but also to put some of those things in practice. So number one is seek out what the gifts are. Number two is to find ways to put them into action. Whatever that might be. As Paul finishes here, he says, let's use them. If prophecy, let's prophesy. If service, let's serve. If teaching, let's teach. If, if it's exhorting, let's exhort. I mean, what a wonderful gift the gift of exhortation is. I cannot tell you how encouraging it is to be around those sort of people. They'll give you little words, little notes. What a gift to the body of Christ. The encouragers, let the encourage, encourage. Let's, let the contributors contribute in generosity. Let the one who leads, lead with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. What a picture of the body of Christ he paints. That's the wonderful, glorious reality. How different that is at times from our own experience of what church is. So let's focus on that. Let's move from where we are now and seek the Lord for how we as individuals can move, can take a step forward into what God would have us do and be a part of. Amen? Can we stand? I'd love to get Adam or the worship team back. I want to pray for us. Got a couple of things I'd love to pray in this morning. Then, as I said, we'll have sort of 15, 20 minutes or so, grab a cup of coffee. We'll head on out and celebrate with people as they get baptized this morning. So there's really two, pe- two groups of people that I'd love to pray for. And I want to pray for us as a group. So you can 
be prayed for as you stand there. There will be um, opportunity if you want to specifically respond and come and have hands laid upon you this morning. We have a prayer team here. We'd love to do that. But two different areas. The first area is anybody here this morning, and we ask for a show of hands, so it's a lot of us, and there really isn't any sense of what it is that God has given me in terms of spiritual giftings. You, you would honestly say, I'm completely lost, I have no idea, and that could be everything through to, um, you know, I've, I'm very new in the faith, and therefore I've never heard this talk before, or I've walked with the Lord and I've never really, I've never really sought the Lord out for His leading in that regard. And my prayer is Paul's exhortation to the Corinthian church that there would be something sparked within our hearts to eagerly desire. I mean, don't we want to be fruitful and productive for the glory of God? Don't we want to have that picture of, of effectiveness, not just there trying to prune with some little secateurs, but really making a difference personally? Hopefully we say yes. So I want to pray that there'd be a fresh sparking of passion to eagerly desire the gifts that he's given. If he's given us gifts, then we want to receive them. We, we, want to, we want to see what it is that he has paid the price to give us in order to accomplish that which he's called us to. And the second group of people I want to pray for is those who perhaps have known for some time or in previous times the, the gifts that God has given you, but something has caused those gifts to just be put on the shelf. Paul talks to Timothy he says, uh, Timothy, I, I urge you to fan into flame the spiritual gift that was given to you by the laying on of my hands. He talks about Timothy having a gift, but he goes on to then encourage Timothy not to be timidity. So to not be timid, we presume probably it's maybe he was afraid. Maybe there's fear of man. Maybe someone had said something, he'd stepped out and he'd copped it from both sides and just sort of put that to one side. So I pray for anybody in that category as well, where there's a genuine sense of, well, God's called me to this. I know he has, but it's just been a season of, of having that swept aside, put on the shelf, that the Lord might fan those gifts back in to flame. Can we pray? So if, if you're in either of those categories, just receive however you'd like to receive. Just turn your attention to the Lord. Consume a posture just saying, Lord, here I am. So, Father, we just thank you for these stirring words of the Apostle Paul to the Roman church. Father, we, we thank you for the picture that we see in, in Scripture, that we see at, at different times throughout history of your church that is on fire. A church, Lord, where you're moving in the midst of them, where you're doing mighty, incredible things. Father, where your name is exalted and glorified. As it says in the, the book of Acts, and you just add, you just add to the church daily those who are being saved. And Father, we want to be that kind of people. We want to be that kind of a church. We want to be that place that Paul says to the Corinthians. 
says, earnestly desire prophecy and the power of God to be in your midst so that when people come inside, they're like, surely God is in this place. Ask that that would be our longing, Lord, not just to have good services, but to have the certainty of the power of God at work in the midst and the lives of your people. So specifically this morning, Lord, I want to pray for anybody here who is unsure, uncertain, or doesn't have any clue about their worth and their value in this church, in your church, and no sense of what it is that you've actually called them to. Lord, we thank you for your gifts. We thank you that that's your heart. So don't don't go proclaim the gospel until you've received the power power to fulfill that which you've called us to. Thank you for the gifts that you've given us, Lord, and I pray like uh, expected thankful children, Christmas time or on a birthday, just receiving gifts, or would we have that posture? Lord, Lord, give us the gifts that you have for us. So Lord, I pray that there would be just something stirred afresh in our hearts to earnestly desire to seek after the gifts that you've given to us. Just stir that afresh. Lord, I particularly as well want to pray for anybody here this morning for whom they're in that category of maybe having known in one season what it was that, that you called them to, that stirring of gifting. But for whatever reason, it's been laid aside. It's been put on the shelf. It's been neglected, either intentionally or unintentionally. And I pray this morning, Lord, through the power of your Spirit, fan into flame those gifts that have been given to us. Come Holy Spirit. As Paul instructs in Ephesians to be continually filled with the Spirit, Lord, we just pray for a fresh infilling, a fresh touch of your grace, fresh stirring of love for you, fresh desire to seek after you, Come and do that work in our hearts this morning. For the glory of your name we pray, Jesus.